Welcome to the Unconventional Path, Entrepreneurship and Innovation Stories and Ideas. Hi, I'm Bela Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. Today, we are excited to be joined by Brian Clayton. Brian is the CEO and co-founder of GreenPal, which is an online marketplace that connects homeowners with local lawn care professionals. GreenPal has been called the Uber for Lawn Care by Entrepreneur Magazine and has over 100,000 active users, completing thousands of transactions per day. Before starting GreenPal, Brian Clayton founded Peachtree Inc., one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee, growing it to over a $10 million a year annual revenue, which he then sold to a larger conglomerate. So, Bela, I think some of the listeners are thinking, oh, lawn care, I don't care about this. But trust me, you're going to love this one. This is awesome. Okay. But before we get into it, I want to share with you that our podcast today is brought to you in part by the law firm of Phillips Lytle LLP. Now, Bela, this sponsorship makes a lot of sense to us. You know this firm well, don't you? I sure do. I have worked with the key entrepreneurship partners at Phillips Lytle for over 20 years. Their attorneys always take an entrepreneurial approach to legal matters, and they have a long history of success with startups. We thank Phillips Lytle for their support of the entrepreneurial community and their sponsorship of the Unconventional Path podcast. Okay, now, Bela, let's get to the interview with Brian Clayton. Hello, listeners. Today, I'm here with Brian Clayton. He is the CEO and co-founder of Green Pal, an online marketplace that connects homeowners with local lawn care professionals. Welcome to the show, Brian. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, very good. So how did you uh, get into this business? Well, my entire life, I've been in the, in the lawn care and landscaping industry. Uh, when I was 18 years old, I started my first grass cutting business, which my dad made me do. Uh, he, uh, I was playing Nintendo one day on a hot summer day, and he said, hey, guess what? We got a job to do. We're going to go mow the neighbor's yard. And uh, we went over next door, spent two hours uh, cutting the neighbor's yard. And, and uh, at the end of it, I got paid like $20. And ever since then, I was hooked. I was hooked on entrepreneurialism. I was hooked on owning my own business. And uh, I never looked back. Um, time I was 25 years old, I had well over 50 employees. And I, I grew that company to 150 people strong. And 2013 sold it to a national landscaping company. Uh, one of the biggest companies in the States. And uh, after that, I saw what technology was doing for industries like Uber and Airbnb. And I thought, this has to exist for the lawn care business. It, there just needs to be an easier way for homeowners to hire a good, solid lawn care service nearby them through an app. And so about six months after I sold that company, we started. I, I got two co-founders and started working on building GreenPal. And here we are eight years later. We're nationwide. Over 100,000 homeowners use the platform to get their grass cut, and thousands of lawn care services, just like I was, use it to run their business. Wow. Wow. That's really impressive. So moving from uh, a lawn care business, you know, one that does lawn maintenance, lawn mowing, et cetera, to sort of a technology company, that's sort of a big leap. So talk. It, it, was, yeah. one that I mis it was one that I underestimated. <laughs> yeah. So uh, talk about that experience a little bit. Yeah, so starting a lawn mowing business uh, with just me and a push mower and growing it little by little, uh, getting more equipment, getting more trucks, hiring more more laborers, and growing that business from scratch, 
was was very different than starting a technology company from scratch. And when I started GreenPow, I thought, oh yeah, you know, we'll just we'll pay uh, an agency to just make it, and then we'll just we'll just be done with it, and and we'll and it'll just grow itself, and and we'll you know it'll just be that simple. And and nothing could be further from the truth. It was it was so much more difficult. Uh, to invent a product that did not exist and to execute on the technology to bring that vision to life than I had ever imagined it would be. And so the first two or three years of starting the second business, GreenPal, was really me reinventing myself as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, having to learn a whole new set of skills, having uh, having to invent the playbook as I was going along uh, were were much more challenging than I than I anticipated they'd be, and if I had known how hard it was going to be, I probably would have never gotten started. So it was good that I was naive, because uh, I'm glad I'm glad we built it, but it was a lot more challenging than I anticipated it would be. Yeah. So talk sort of about uh, let's go back to the 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 first business, um, and uh, what was the name of the uh, the first one? first one was called Peachtree Incorporated. Peachtree. Okay, great. So let's go. And it was one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee. Wow. Uh, so let's talk about Peachtree. Uh, when you started that, what were some of the challenges there? Yeah, so that type of business, uh, the, the challenges of, of growing it are, uh, it's very capital intensive. So you have to uh, acquire equipment that's very expensive that goes down in value like a rock. Uh, and so that that is a challenge of balancing, do you take on debt to acquire new machinery and trucks, or do you try to do it uh, debt-free, out of cash flow from the business? Do you continue to maintain old equipment, or do you replenish it every year? Um, those were constant struggles that that I dealt with running and growing that business. And the other thing that is just as challenging is 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 the people. Uh, you're going to have to constantly uh, uh, train new people, keep people. Um, and, and develop systems around doing these things that, quite frankly, I did wrong for many years. And I had to learn the hard way of how to do that, how to do that, how to hire new people, how to train them in our way, in our process, and how to keep them over for years and not just one season. Uh, it's a, and it's a very labor-intensive business. So this is, this is uh, physically taxing work that, that, you're, uh, that you're selling. And, and quite frankly, your laborers kind of get burnt out on that, you know, mowing yards, landscaping, planting bushes. It's just hard, hard work. So it's hard to keep a staffer, uh, you know, for many, many years doing that kind of work. So those were constant challenges that I faced growing that business. Fast forward to a technology business. The good news is, is that for every problem you face, there is a technological solution for it. So, so you can usually engineer your way out of problems. Um, however, it, they're much more complex, and there isn't a playbook yet. You have to kind of invent it. You have to try and, and what they call iterating. You just try and fail, try, try and fail until you find a solution that works to solve the problem. And, and building uh, a software app is very different than uh, teaching a crew how to go mow yards. And so these were things that I kind of had to learn the hard way over, over years. Uh, and, and, you know, knowing what I know now, I could do them in a much more compressed amount of time. Uh, but I just had to learn them just through the school of hard knocks. Sure. <laughs> sure. So when you're, 
when uh, let me go again back to Peachtree. Uh, when you're growing that business and, and now you, you know, got 20, 30, 40 employees, uh, things are going well. How do you compete against the the 18-year-old with the lawnmower? <laughs> yeah, yeah, great question. That that would probably be the third thing that's that's the most difficult about that kind of industry. It's very competitive, hyper competitive. So you're when you're running a business of that size, you're you're dealing with the com- the competitive pressure from the lower end of of the what we used to call a chuck and a truck, Peter and a pickup. Uh, they have much lower lower overhead than you do. Uh, and so what we would do is we would get out of the type of services that that they were that were their bread and butter. So your single family residents needing their lawn mowed every week or every two weeks. We slowly got out of that line of work and, and, and tackled the commercial sector of, of landscaping maintenance that requires a, a type of business that can uh, manage cash flow because a lot of, you know, your mall, like big commercial real estate operators will will stretch out how long they pay their vendors, 60 or 90 days. That kind of became a competitive advantage for us because we grew the business debt-free and we were able to uh, withstand those cash flow uh difficulties over the season better than your smaller providers would be able to. But that meant we had to exit the, 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 the smaller, I guess, uh, line of work to, to put it. Um, we wouldn't, we wouldn't do residential work anymore over. And that happened over the course of, of three or four years. And, but still you have competitive, you have a very competitive environment in that market, in the commercial market. And so, the way you compete there is just knowing your numbers. You have to know what your margins are. You have to know what your labor costs are. You have to know what your equipment costs are. And being able to basically compete on mathematics, uh, it sounds crazy, but that's how we competed. We knew, we knew what, our, what our margins were, and we knew what we could acquire a contract for better than our competitors did. It took us years to figure that out, but that's how we competed. Um, fast forward uh, you know, in, into GreenPal, the, a technology-based business. We, we are solely focused on that smaller service sector, the, the residential service sector. We make that so much more easier than it is without, without a technology solution. So if you're a homeowner, you need your grass mode, you usually would have to ask friends and family for, for recommendations or get on Facebook or Google search. You might call 10 or 20 people, get one quote back maybe. Uh, then you hire the person. You don't really know if they're any good or not. Uh, we make all that easy and magical. A homeowner just comes onto the app or onto the website. They'll get five quotes back in, in less than a minute in most cases, and they can read reviews and hire the, the person they want to work with. And so we are kind of powering the smaller service provider that I used to be uh, to make it to where they can offer those services profitably and make it a magical experience for the homeowner to hire them, like like ordering an Uber. Yeah, yeah. So uh- – you know, there are lots of other services out there that are, I describe it, in the matchmaking business, right? They're, they're a customer and a, a provider. Angie's List comes to mind, right? So how do, you, how do you compete with somebody like that? How do you get people to adapt your app, which I understand is, is specific, right? Which is good. It's focused. Uh, but, but you do have these competitors out there. How do you sort of tackle that problem? Yeah, good question. So, uh Probably one of the, the, the better examples of a competitor that we have in the digital space would be Angie's List, Home Advisor, which actually owns Angie's List now. And, and what those services are good for is providing you with an introduction. 
So uh, you go on there and, and you type in your need or, or whatever it is you're looking for, and you can get a list. Uh, but you still have to poll down that list. You'll still need to call or email each of those providers and understand what their availability is, nail down what their pricing is. You might be able to get a little more rich information in terms of reviews, but that's about it, and that's where it stops. So it's better than going on Craigslist or or asking friends and family or somebody at church. It it, it doesn't it doesn't it's not an end to end solution for the thing you need to get done. So for GreenPal, you go from not knowing anybody or even what it's going to cost to making an informed hiring decision in minutes to getting it done to paying it paying for the service all on the app and then scheduling all of the services on on the app for as long as you own or live in that home. So it's a much more customized solution to the problems that you as a homeowner would face trying to get a good, reliable lawn care service and, and, and for the lawn care service provider operating their business. That's all we do. That's all we're focused on is solving those problems. Whereas a home advisor and Angie's List, you can go on there and find a plumber, a painter, uh, a pool contractor, anything under the sun, which is great but you're not going to get that magical end-to-end experience on any of those platforms. They're just not focused enough to provide it. Excellent. Excellent. So that's a, that's a great sort of differentiation be- between what you guys provide. And, and so how does the technology help you provide that? Yeah. So on the, on what the homeowners, the consumer side sees, they see a set of screens that walks them through that process logically. So when you come on to the platform, you enter your information, then you'll get quotes. Then you can read about uh, those service providers and then you can hire. And then you're greeted with, after that, how did it go? Rate them. And then it's, do you want to set up services for the rest of the year? Sure. And then after that, do you want to add on services like shrub pruning, bed maintenance, uh, tree trimming, seating? So it's a very tailored experience to the natural progression of needs that a homeowner has to, to get this these tasks done. On the vendor side, on the, on the lawn care pro side, it is an entire platform to, for him or her to run their entire business on. So we go really deep. We go deep on the homeowner side, but we go way deep on the vendor side. So it's a, it's a tool set. It's, it's a platform that they plug into to where they can do all of these things so much more easier than they could uh, traditionally, which 90% of these, of these services still operate on pen and pad and, and paper calendar and, Excel spreadsheets. It's just a mess. We, we help them with acquiring new customers, getting scheduled, knowing where they're supposed to be every day, getting paid for those services fast, and upselling those services at, at a tap of a button on their, on their mobile app or website. So it's, it's, a, it's a tailored solution to the problems that both sides of the transaction face. And that's where we add our value. We only take 5% of the, the transaction costs uh, to run the platform. But we, we like to think we, we add two to three times the value that we extract out of that transaction. Right, right. So that's a, that's a very nice sort of value add you're providing to, to, the, uh, to, to the professional, right, uh, to who yeah, has that that's, service. That's why we, it's quite frankly why we exist. Yeah. Um, we, we, we set a goal for if you're a new service provider and you, you say you have 10 or 20 clients and then you find out about GreenPal, you plug your business into GreenPal. We want to get you over 100 clients that first season. And, and we want to be able to let anybody who, who wants to work hard in this industry to make material income, material, material cash flow. 
$100,000 a year, $200,000 a year, whatever that is for you, we want to give that person the opportunity to plug in, get the clientele they want to work with and get it done and get paid and focus on the other things that they want to do with their life. And we have a lot of stories where folks are, are, are empowered to quit their full-time job uh, and, and go all in on the grass cutting business. I make more money with less hassle doing that than, than they were wherever, you know, working at UPS or, or as a fireman or as a school teacher or whatever. We have hundreds and thousands of those stories that make running this business a lot of fun. Yeah. So usually in these types of contract services, um, there's the bidding process or, or getting the quote, right? I, I call up the, the supplier, the professional, they come out to the house and they sort of look at what I have. So it's usually a, a more experienced person that comes out or the senior person or the owner who comes out and does all of the, all of the quotes. Right. So how do you, how do you get them comfortable or how is that process taken care of now in yeah. your system? That's some friction that, that we're able to help solve with the technology. One reason why as a homeowner, it's a pain in the butt to get a good lawn care service is because of everything you just outlined. They have to come out and look at it. They have to eyeball it and give you a written proposal. And it may only be a $25 lawn mowing or a $35 lawn mowing. But by the time that they have driven across town to come see you and spent that hour doing that, um, and all you want is a grass cutting every two weeks, and let's say you're going to spend 70 or 80 bucks a month, it quite frankly is just not worth their time. And so that's why it's pulling teeth as a homeowner to get this service done. And a lot of times you're relegated to hiring uh, somebody who just got started or somebody who's just not that good. And, and then they disappear on you a month later. And it's just it's this constant hassle for the homeowner. With our technology, we're able to extract information out of your uh, details that, that you list onto the platform, whether it's your address, basically. And then from that, we take the aerial imagery, the street view imagery, and the square footage of your lot that you live at. We're able to pull those, those details from Google and other data providers. And then we surface that to the, home, to the vendor to where they see that on their phone and, and, and they know. They can say, okay, this is in, this, is in three, you know, this zip code. I have five other customers in this zip code already. My average price in that zip code is X. This is 1,300 square feet. I'm looking at looking at a picture of it. I'm looking at an aerial image of it. That's all I need as a service provider to give you a quote on that service. And then they can bid 10 or 20 of these in five minutes uh, and not have to ride around town giving out written proposals. Oh, very nice. That's a really excellent utilization of some of that technology to, to as you said, make that process much more efficient, right? For, for the, both parties. For yeah, both for sides both of parties. The transaction. Um, and, and, and that's why we focus on just when we first get started, Let's just get the weekly or biweekly lawn, lawn maintenance taken care of. And then we can work on mulch, pruning, seeding, because a lot of these other services are, so, are, are nuanced and they're going to require some, some, some intimate uh, uh, knowledge of the property from the service provider. But let's get those done after you've made a hire for the lawn mowing. And that's kind of the progression that we take the homeowner through. Yeah, yeah. So this is a business where you, act, you, as the business owner, actually have two sets of customers, right? You have the homeowners and you have the service providers. Right. And you have to have sufficient numbers of both of those to make this work, right? You're, yes. not, just selling, <laughs> you're just, not just selling the product to one category. You have right. two sets of customers. So talk about how that process works and sort of 
how you've dealt with, you know, getting that done. Yeah, it's a true chicken and egg dilemma. And and we've gotten better at it over the years. When we first launched our first city in, in Nashville, Tennessee, the second city was Tampa, Florida. And I know the inside of every coffee shop in both of those towns. Uh, because in, 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 in the early days, it was just sheer hustle, reaching out to service providers off of Craigslist, Facebook, Yelp, you name it, and pitching them on the idea of what we were building. Uh, getting them interested in the promise of, of this platform that could drive them new clients, uh, solve problems for them, such as getting paid for work they've done, uh, help eliminate headaches around their scheduling, so on. Once we were able to make that in-person pitch, we bought about maybe a month or two of interest. And in that short compressed period of time, we had to drive them interest from the consumer side, the demand side. And in that, in that short period of time, we were able to spark the flywheel to get it going. As time has gone on, we've gotten better in terms of, a, of, of more efficient in terms of, a, of recruiting the supply side uh, through Facebook and, and Google. Um, we have to spend a little bit of money on advertising on that side, but on the homeowner side, it's purely organic. When, when a homeowner is searching for a lawn care service, let's say they live in, in uh, Chicago, Illinois, and, and they, they, they touch lawn care service, Chicago, green pal pops up in the top three and that's how they get introduced to the platform. That's how they make that hire. So it's, it's, it's a delicate balance of solving for chicken and egg in the early days of, of, of convincing the supply side to give it a try and then rewarding them with the, the demand side. Yeah, That's what's worked for us. Yeah, so I, I can certainly understand when you enter a new market, or like, let's say the early days, uh, you know, in any given region, there's just a finite number of, of land care professionals, right? So whether it's 10 or 20 or 30, but right. you, can, you can print out the list and you can go knock on those 30 doors. But on the homeowner side, how, do you, how, did, how did you go about getting those early customers uh, homeowners on the homeowner yeah. side. Yeah, it's a sad story. Uh, the I'll never forget it. It was uh, it was a hot summer, 2014. We had just launched the first version of this thing. We paid a development agency to 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 build it. This is part of that school of hard knocks story I was telling you about in the beginning. And uh, we we needed people to try to use this thing, and we had no search engine optimization. We didn't really our website sucked. Uh, we didn't really understand how to do that kind of stuff. And we took a page out of my playbook from 15 years earlier of passing out door hangers. And my two co-founders and I walked around damn near every neighborhood in, in Middle Tennessee and passed out tens of thousands of these door hangers and hung them on doors. And it was just a hard way to, to, to grind out the initial 100, 200, 300 homeowners that we needed to try this thing because we really didn't even know at the time if we had a good idea or not uh but we needed to validate that and so and so that's how we got them and then after that we met with as many of those homeowners as we could to meet with to to understand what their expectations were where we let them down where we where we delighted them and then we we funneled all that information back into the next version that we built it was a tough way to get those first several hundred customers. I, I wouldn't recommend it as a scalable uh, sales strategy, but it worked for us at the time, and it was what we had to do at the time. Since then, we've gotten a lot better at, at, at getting the word out through things like PR, um, Google search, 
Facebook, uh, all of these channels, we've, we've understood how to adapt our platform to them to make it work. But in the early days, we didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a really interesting story because even though you have a, a really sophisticated uh, technology business where you're using all sorts of data input from satellite images, et cetera, right. to go out and get your customers, sometimes you still have to resort to the good old fashioned, in your case, yeah. door hang tags <laughs> yeah. that have to be placed manually to kind of get those initial wave of customers. Yeah, I can go up to a doorknob and and hang one of those things with my eyes closed. I'm so good at it. <laughs> Literally, like we spent days and days and days doing that, and and I'm having I'm having flashbacks now as I'm talking about it. But yeah, to your point, um, a lot of technology entrepreneurs have a build it and they will come mentality. Like if I build this thing and just release it into the into the ether, it will just distribute it itself, and that never happens. I mean, it, it might have happened once or twice, and but but it doesn't happen for most technology startups. And and a lot of times, the the success or failure of one of these new products is the is the distribution or the growth uh, strategy around it. That's that's what really uh, dictates who wins and who loses is distribution, and not so much product. Yeah, good product is kind of table stakes, but how you're going to get it in the hands of people that need it is is ten times more important. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, how do you sort of sort out bad providers and bad customers, right? Yeah. The, the folks who are never happy or the folks who don't do a good job, don't pay their bills on time, et cetera. How do you yeah. sort those out? Great question. That, that's, so as a job of a platform, that's part of your job is to, is to sideline the bad actors because it's not good for anybody. Uh, it's not bad, bad homeowners uh, uh, that are acting in bad faith, irritate the supply base and then the supply base dwindles and then the good homeowners don't get service. It's, it can really cause what, uh, what they call negative network effects, like for things just to go down the drain quick. If you don't have a way to deal with these, with these folks in the early days, it was just sheer policing with eyeballs on what was going on. We had enough transactions where we could do that. Um, we could tell who was late. We could tell who was irritating people, and we could we could we could sideline them that way. Now that we're thousands and thousands of users, we're doing tens of thousands of transactions a day. We 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 simply can't do that. We have to have uh, we have to have technological ways to do it. And that's you know one thing I was telling you about was there is a technological solution to engineer your way out of most problems when you're when you're in the technology space, which is one of the the benefits. And so for us, we understand a lot of data around these lawn care service providers that nobody else does. We, we know when they're on time. We know how often as a percentage basis do homeowners book them again. We know qualitative reviews in terms of just what the person said about the services. And so we're able to use these data points to understand who are the lowest performing uh, vendors in Dallas, Texas, this past month. And so our, our platform, by default, takes those bottom 10% and cuts them. And so if you're in the bottom quartile of, of lawn care services in Dallas, Texas, you, you can't operate on GreenPal. Uh, if you're late, if you're getting bad reviews, if, if, if only 5% of homeowners that work for you, work with you, liked you enough to book you for the rest of the season, we just know you're not a reliable service provider through the data. And so over the last six years, we've developed this algorithm to understand 
that these are the poor performing service providers. They need to be sidelined. They've got to go. And all of these things are, are spelled out to the service provider to understand, hey, you're in the red zone. You're in, you're in danger of getting your account deactivated. Um, and, and, if, and if you're late and you don't show up and you don't show up after a certain number of days, your account gets deactivated. So we're able to solve a lot of these problems for homeowners of having to go through the trial and error process of hiring two or three service providers before they get a good one. Our platform is doing that on the fly to where you never have to hire that unreliable service provider. And if you do, they won't be around GreenPal for long. Now, on the homeowner side, unfortunately, it happens. Uh, you, you, get, uh, you get homeowners that will, or renters that will come onto the platform, and there is a dispute process where if you hired somebody and you didn't like what they did, uh, you can dispute the, the, the workmanship until they come back and fix it. We see that get abused. Uh, we see uh, one, one thing that gets abused quite a bit is, is someone getting their lawn mowed and then waiting two months until it's like you know three feet tall and then expecting somebody to mow it for $27 again. We've built in workflows in the app and the website to understand that, okay, hey, listen, it's been six weeks since your last grass cutting. Um, if, if you hire this person for this price, do not expect them to do it for that. It's probably going to be triple. Are you okay with that? Yes, I'm okay with that. And then they come out. You need to approve this surcharge. So over time, we've gotten better at solving for all of these nuances that occur just naturally in this type of, of business and make them to where they happen less. And when they do happen, at least we can solve the problem on the fly rather than what happens in the traditional sense of just a lot of arguing, phone calls, you know, people not getting paid, you, you name it we're able to make that a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, as I think about the story you've been telling me here about your experience, it's really a wonderful example of, you know, you were out there uh, being a service provider. So you built a business around that. You understood customers and, and the quirks that customers have. You understood the challenges in the in this lawn care business. Uh, and, and that's a great, sort of experience set to bring into the technology company to then build the app, right? Because if, because if, yeah. if you didn't have anyone in the company who sort of was in the lawn care service, right? You're sort of guessing what's important to the service provider. You're sort of guessing what the problems will be with the customers. Well, you had intimate knowledge of that because you did it for many years. So that's a really, really kind of nice melding of those things together and it's not something, quite honestly, you see frequently, right? When people start technology companies, lots of times in technology companies, people get an idea and, and they have very limited, if any, experience in that sector they're going into. And they, totally. and they stumble even more than you did. <laughs> totally. Yeah. That, that I, I coach uh, other small business owners and, and tech entrepreneurs as, as a hobby. Keeps me sharp. Keeps me, uh, keeps me in the trenches. And I see that a lot. And the good ones, the good entrepreneurs, the good startups will do what they call get out of the building, which means stop coding, uh, stop looking at a computer screen and talk to your damn users. And so uh, I, had, I, had, I had one uh, entrepreneur starting a, a, a business for uh, a massage kind of company. I like, would make it easy to book massages. I was like, you need to be in the office with one of these providers for a week at least 
to where you understand all the nuances that go into running that kind of business. Um, so it can be solved for. The problem is most don't do it because they don't know that they're supposed to, or quite frankly, it's not fun. Um, it's not writing code. It's not, it's not designing beautiful uh, interfaces on a screen. It's not all those things. It's, it's, it's the hand-to-hand combat that gets you in the, the day of the life of that person you're trying to solve problems for. Sounds like a simple thing, but most don't do it. Sometimes I wonder would I have rather have had technology background um, rather than a traditional landscaping contractor background. And I don't know. Um, for me, I was able to start day one and knew what problems I was solving because I was solving my own problems. But on the other hand, it, took, it took, took me years to figure out how to build a technology product. So there's no silver bullet to any of this stuff. But if, if you are looking for a, how to solve problems, you need to talk to your users. If you were mentoring uh, some young entrepreneurs, and uh, what sort of lessons learned would you share with them? What sort of advice would you give them? You know, here's the, here's Brian's top three or top four tips if you're getting ready yeah. to start your own business. Yeah, yeah. Um, focus, really, really, really got to focus on a couple of things that matter. Uh, a lot of times when you're getting started, you're, you're, you're deluded by all of these things you think matter and they're not actually driving the ball down the field. Um, so, so the way I would say is like, you got your output metrics, you know, whatever it is, let's say like we want to double customers this month or we want to double revenue this month, whatever the output metric is, you need to also have a set of input metrics meaning what are the things I'm going to need to do to double customers? And so like, let's just say for us, when we first launched our, our, our website, we knew we needed users. We knew we needed homeowners. That was all that mattered. We need to pass out a hundred thousand flyers over the next 30 days. And okay. So what does that mean? Okay. That means X number of flyers per day that we're going to go out there and work like just taking it down to, what are the series of actions that you're going to have to take to get to that, that output metric? As simple as that sounds, most entrepreneurs don't know to do it or don't hold themselves, hold themselves accountable to do it. And the good thing about that kind of rule of thumb is that it scales. That methodology scales damn near uh, to, to infinity. Like if you just, just run that play, understand, okay, what are, our, what are our key objectives for this month, this quarter, this year, and what are the things we're going to have to do to get there? And then let's do those things. Um, it works. Most entrepreneurs don't do it. And I've been guilty of, of, of not doing it too, of doing things that don't matter. Um, and, and whether it could be, I don't know, something as simple as like starting an Instagram account for your business when you're not going to get customers from Instagram. Don't do it. Don't waste time on it. You need customers right now. Where are they hanging out? You know, where are those customers hanging out? That's where you need to market. Don't even worry about a damn Instagram account unless you're selling like shoes or something. So a lot of times I, I see new startups and entrepreneurs making that mistake. Like, and I have to refocus them like, okay, listen, none of that BS matters. Let's do these one, two or three things. And I've, and I've had to learn that the hard way. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. And uh, again, I want to go back to your notion of, you know, having experience in the industry before you do, before you kind of tackle the technology ball and, and this app. And, uh, you know, one of the thoughts I've always had, 
is certain things are, are the similar across all industries. You know, the numbers add up the same way. You got to hire people. Sometimes you have to terminate people. You got to spend money on marketing, et cetera. But each industry has subtleties about it, have these little minor nuances that you don't understand unless you've been in that industry. Right. And, and so getting that experience is really, really important. So if I'm a, if I'm a, you know, new graduate and, and I want to, you know, be an entrepreneur, what, what sort of would you tell me to do, right? To, to what advice would you give me to, to sort of blaze off on my trail? Yeah, you nailed it. Um, all, all businesses share a lot of the same, uh, challenges and, and, and fundamental issues. And they all have that in common, but every one of them is uniquely different. And, and, uh, no matter how simple you think the business is, it's, it's much more complex than that. Like, okay, take like, I don't know, a hot dog stand, you know, how much more simpler does it get than a damn hot dog stand? But until you, let's say, let's say you, uh, okay, let's say you wanted to develop a set of solutions for a guy running a hot dog stand. Well, what you don't understand is like, there's a million problems that guy faces. Uh, He's got health inspectors that don't like how often he changes out his water. His uh, the axle underneath the stand didn't get greased last month, and the damn wheel fell off, and now he's got to pay a tow truck to go tow it back. Or like the umbrella's leaking, or or his supplier for the damn hot dogs is going up on him, and he can't cover that. There's a million problems that guy faces. I promise you. And I've never sold a hot dog, but I like you don't know those things until you until you walk at least half a mile in that, in that guy or gal's shoes. So my, my advice is if you really want to spend the next 5, 10, 15 years uh, solving problems for uh, a, a, a type of business that you want to be in, it would behoove you to spend at least a month, six months as an operator in that business. Um, let's say you wanted to start a new pizza chain and you wanted to use technology as the sole reason, sole way that you distributed these pizzas. Go be an assistant manager at a Domino's or a Papa John's for three months. I guarantee you, you'll learn more about how the pizza business runs than you did at any business school you went to. Uh, those types of things that are not sexy, not fun, are, are things that I always try to encourage small business owners to go back and do. Um, when we were starting Green Pal, the second or third year, I I drove for Lyft, Uber, DoorDash, Postmates. I walked dogs on Rover and Wag. I did all of these jobs as a supplier on these platforms because I wanted to see how did they solve problems that were reoccurring over and over again and how did they use technology and what did their interfaces look like to solve these real-world problems. And I learned a lot doing that. I hated it, uh, and I prayed that one of my friends isn't the person that ordered that chicken sandwich from Red Robin you know, and I'm having to show up delivering it. Luckily, it never happened. But, uh, but, but that I learned so much more doing that than I did reading blogs about user experience or, or, or any, any other way. So that real world tacit experience, trying to put yourself in the situations where you're going to learn that is something I, I really encourage new, new business owners, new entrepreneurs to do. Yeah, that's really great advice, Brian. That that is uh, excellent, excellent. I, I, and I'm a true believer, a real believer in what you just said as well. And it, it. It's interesting, as you were talking about the hot dog stand, uh, before I retired, I was a professor. Uh, awesome. Uh, that was my last job. I was an entrepreneur before that. But uh, in my entrepreneurship class, we do a hot dog cart example of a problem. <laughs> we, we do a case. Awesome. 
right? Awesome. And and I and I and we and one of the funny things I always laugh about is we you know talk to the students and I say so figure out how much money you want to make, how much cash do you want to have in your pocket at the end of the year from running your hot dog business. And you know they say you know 80, 90 grand a year, and then we say okay, you know, and then we figure out sort of the net profit on each hot dog. <laughs> And yeah. you know they realize how many hot dogs they have to sell yeah, yeah, <laughs> to make that much. Real quick. Yes, it's really humbling. <laughs> so that advice of of going to do those things and 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 it's really interesting to hear you talk about you went and did the Uber thing, the Lyft thing, the you know the the, the you know walk the dog thing to to sort of see how they solve those problems and learn from their mistakes, learn from their best practices, so you can then apply them to your business. That's really excellent. It's, yeah, advice. it's been one of the things that's gotten us where we are. Uh, and the problem is, is that um, you, you, it's nuanced. You, you, you can almost do too much of that. And I had a business partner once uh, in, a, in, a for, in, a, in my last business that would gravitate towards that stuff, would gravitate towards the physical execution and not the hard mental work. And so you have to do both. You have to bring – you have to bring uh, – uh, you got to bring strategy. You got to bring new ideas. You got to bring the book work to the equation, but you also have to bring the real world execution to it as well. You have to have both. You can't, you can't, uh, over index on one or the other. And so, um, I, that, that would be the, 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 the asterisk that I'll put under that advice. Do enough of it to where you know what the problems are. You've you, you validated it. And then it's time to learn from people much smarter than you. It's time to read the books, read the blogs, understand how you're going to execute on what you learn. Yeah, that's super, super. So Brian, uh, I want to wrap this up. Uh, is there any other things you want to share with the audience? Something that I should have asked you that I haven't? Um, well, I don't know when this is going to go live, but right now we're dealing with the COVID stuff. Mm, yeah. Let's talk about that a little. I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm feeling phone calls from friends that have businesses and, and, and people that I coach. And the, the one thing I'm telling everybody is to don't give up. Keep pushing forward until you have your last dime in the bank. This, is, this will be behind us. It's only a matter of when. And, and I believe it's going to come back like a tidal wave. Don't give up. Keep pushing forward. Um, th this stuff happens, and your business will survive. You just, just try to figure out a way to, to, to not go out of business. Yeah. How has this impacted your business? Uh, I, I don't know if I'm lucky or, 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 or what, but our business is, is way up. And I think it's because of the contactless delivery. Uh, you know, you mentioned traditionally, if you want to hire a lawn care service, you got to walk the yard with them. You got to meet with them, you, you know, and, and, and I think that element to what we do, that problem that we solve is resonating with homeowners and service providers right now, because people are trying to do things digitally, um, that they didn't necessarily think to do so before. So whether it be like, you know, DoorDash and Uber Eats are way up, we're, we're riding that wave. Um, and so luckily things are going well for us. Now, if, if, if things get hard and, and it harder than they are now and, and we, we're not past this in nine, nine or 12 months and the consumers uh, start to get tighter, you know, it's going to affect our numbers. There's no doubt about it, but, but we'll figure out a way to get through it. Luckily right now we're good. Yeah, that's great. That's good news for you guys. Well, excellent. Hey, Brian, you've been a super guest. Uh, it's been a very, very interesting conversation. I've, I've really enjoyed it. And uh, thank you so much for uh, sharing your story with our listeners. My pleasure. Glad to do it. 
Okay, so I already gave away my playing hand here, Bela. I love this interview, and I thought there was a ton of interesting stuff in here. It's a totally awesome nuts and bolts story about entrepreneurship at its best. What did you like best about the story? Well, I'll tell you, I agree with you. Uh, this was one of those where uh, when I heard about the guest and uh, read about him, I said, hmm, I'm not sure how this podcast will turn out. But man, this one is full of nuggets of good information for budding entrepreneurs and existing business owners. So I think one of the, the neat things was, you know, he first of all, he, the guy's got a work ethic, right, which he got from his from his parents. That was very clear. Uh, and he he started his business. He grew it, and having a you know ten million dollar a year landscaping business is a pretty sizable business, uh, and and one would say, hey, that's good success. Um, and I think what what he figured out was he started with you know him and a pickup truck and a lawnmower, and he and he built that into a larger business, concentrating less and less on homeowners and more and more on commercial accounts. So he's figuring out ways of adding greater amounts of value. Right, not just mowing the lawn, but then doing landscaping and other thing, other services as well. And then when he sold that, it gave him the opportunity to say, "Okay, how can I take my, the knowledge that I have learned?" Right, he's got this intimate knowledge of how this business works, both from the customer side and from the provider side. And and is there something I can do with that uh, to 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 build it in with that specific knowledge? within this industry. And that's where he came up with his idea for GreenPal. And, and this notion of, of being the matchmaker, bringing people, customers, and providers together has been a notion that's been around for a long time with the internet, right? I mean, I mean that's what you know, eBay does. It brings together buyers and sellers of, of services and goods. Uh, Angie's List, there's a lot of these things out here. But he had to say... Okay, you know what? Instead of doing something super general, super broad, he narrowed it down really narrow and says, I'm going to do this for one industry, number one, because I have great knowledge and expertise in that industry, and I know how I can apply that to make it a better experience for both the customer and the service provider. So to me, I think that was one of the big lessons out of here. What did you think, Mike? Yeah, I mean... And I think, you know, there's still there's still fertile ground here. If you know these spaces, you know, there's plenty of um, areas where you could still do a platform and improve the experience. Like I just got an email from my employer from the university that I work at um, that they're going to provide. So just so the listeners know, we're taping this, uh, recording this in April 23rd. And we're still in covid lockdown, uh, not only in Germany, but also in the U.S., um, and my school tried something because I have a lot of colleagues, you know, I have no pets and no kids. And I often say that that makes uh, this quarantine thing easier, uh, makes a lot of things in life easier. But uh, my friends that have little kids at home are having a heck of a time teaching their classes and doing their meetings online uh, because they got to take care of their kids because the schools are closed. And my university said, you know, we have this idea. Somebody had this idea and we're going to do it. We're going to do online babysitting. Okay. So kids of a certain age, you can plop them in front and we'll just do small groups of like no more than six kids in the same age group and we'll do activities with them and we'll do things that are age appropriate and they'll stay engaged and active and it's not just sitting them in front of a, you know, YouTube videos of Elmo, right? 
and then we'll give them some activities that they can do once we're done with the hour. And parents, my friends who are, have kids are like, oh my God, this is so cool. And they're doing it for, for free. But you could see how this is a business model. You could build a platform of people who would provide these services and do these. And even after COVID's over, right? I think people would go for this, right? And so I think there's plenty of areas where if you have intimate knowledge of the of the issue, of the problem that parents are facing in this case, or people who want their lawns mowed, uh, in, in, in Brian's case, and there's still room to really get some in-depth in customer knowledge and provide a platform. So I don't think this has played out. And I thought this was a great example that there's still a lot of areas where digitalization can really create huge amounts of value. Um, but it's a tough industry, right? I loved his quote that he competes on mathematics. Right. I thought that was amazing. And this idea of knowing your numbers and embracing your accountant. We've said this countless times, but this was a guy that I loved. It's like, hey, we can outperform our rivals because I know exactly how much to bid because I know exactly how much the, my costs are. I know exactly what my labor costs are. I know exactly. I figured all this out and I can give an accurate bid. And then when he added the technology that now we can just look on Google Maps, right, essentially, and get a view of the property, we can have a bid for you in, in, in an hour. Right. Whereas it, we used to have to drive out and walk around. Right. We now have the ability to give you a bid like that. And that's how we could we could beat rivals. I thought that was really, really, really cool. This continuous innovation in the space. Yeah. So that's what I thought. Absolutely. And, and, and I think it's a great way of bringing innovation that adds value to both sides of the equation. Oftentimes we bring innovation to the table for innovation's sake. Uh, but he said, hey, what's the problem here? The problem is if you have one of these businesses going out and, and giving customers bids sucks up a lot of your time. Why? And how did he know that? Because he did it <laughs> for a bunch of years. And he says, okay, we got to figure out how to make this more efficient. And what technology do we have that can enable me to make it more efficient? And and that's what he we did. That's what he did. And I just think that's a, a great, great example of applying technology in the right amounts uh, and that applying that technology, he was able to do that. Why? Because he understood the business. Remember, he also talked about going out and driving for Uber or Lyft or one of those or, or uh, one of the grocery delivery places to sort of understand how this part of the business works. How does the UI work, right? What are the important things to that service provider? Uh, what, what value do you need to add to them? So uh, again, he, he, he figured out how, I know this is a competitive space, I gotta do a really good job if I'm gonna be successful. And I, I do that by providing good value to both sides of the equation, both the homeowner and the service provider. And, and a lot of businesses have more than one customer, uh, meaning one customer group, and, and he understands that as well. He's got two different sort of customers he's selling to, and he's gotta make both of them want the business. Yeah, Brian had this design thinking mentality intuitively, right? He knew if you if you know anything about design thinking that you need to under have empathy for what your customers are going through. You need to be able to hear the voice of the customer. You need to solve their pain points. I mean, this is great stuff. And it simply is this great. Like, tell the coders, get off their butts, get off in front of the computer screen, get out of the office and go talk with customers and figure out what they need. You're going to be much more successful um, by understanding and intimately knowing the needs of the customer than you are just by thinking, oh, I know what people want because I'm just like my customer, right? No way, right? No way. 
So I thought this was great advice just to, to get out there and, and go and do those dirty jobs, roll your sleeves up so you really gain that in, in, that knowledge firsthand. Um, and, and, and it's great. It's not sexy, he said. It's not fun, but just you got to go and do it. Um, and I and I thought that was great. This is the ultimate one we call validation, right? Um, a lot of times it takes a long time an entrepreneur to come up with an idea and then she or he has to go out and validate that idea. But if you're doing the job and you're talking to them and you're right there, you're not going to need to spend so much time validating because you've pre-validated the idea, essentially. You've already understood what the need is before you've designed the product. And so I love doing it in this order. And it's something that I tell my students a lot uh, and that I know you've taught your students a lot too. But here was a guy that just did it. And it was fantastic to hear it uh, explained in the way that Brian explained it with a lot of clarity and a lot of a lot of heart. Huh? Absolutely. Absolutely. I thought he was a great guest. Uh, and I think there's, like I said earlier, there's a lot of good lessons in this podcast. And I, I hope our, listen, our listeners enjoyed it as much as I did. Yeah, I'm going to go listen to it again, Bela. I loved it so much. All right, should we wrap it up? Let's wrap it. Okay. All right. So takeaways today, right? I think this is great. Is um, It's so cool to hear somebody who literally started by mowing a lawn, uh, you know, building a, a, an incredibly valuable, successful business that's really helping customers all over the, the country now in the U.S., uh, and he took this approach of adding value at every step and uh, understanding what his customers' needs were, understanding the uh, power of a platform where you bring buyers and sellers together, understanding that chicken and the egg that you have to give them uh, uh, both sides what they need and incentivize them to, 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 to join your platform. And then this relentless incremental innovation, right, in terms of, of continuing to build and build and build and add more value. And it's the way to compete and win in a hyper-competitive um, uh, uh, industry. And again, you started with this and I'll end with it, Bela, is it's work ethic, right? It's willing to roll your sleeves up and do those things and not sitting back and getting fat and happy um, because you you were successful once. You've got to keep w- fighting the fight and keep battling every single day uh, if you want to make it work. And you and I have seen that both in our startups, uh, that you really got to work every day at it to, to make it better or it'll it'll get stale and somebody will come and disrupt you and, and, and beat you. Um, so that was what I thought. Those were my takeaways. Um, we're really happy that, uh, listeners, you joined us today in our podcasting adventure. And we hope you found the last hour as interesting and thought-provoking as we did. Um, and at this point, we'd like to once again thank Phillips Light LLP for sponsoring our podcast. Uh, and we can tell you, if you need good, solid advice starting, funding, or selling a business, whether you're a single-person startup or working on a nine-figure exit, uh, Bela, you and I can confidently recommend the attorneys at Phillips Lytle. Bela, what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with them? So for more information, I suggest you reach out to Rich Honan, who is a Phillips Lytle partner, and you can call him at 518-618-1225, or you can reach him via email at rhonan at phillipslytle.com. And of course, you'll be able to find his contact information in our show notes. So thanks again for joining us. Uh, one last request, listeners, if you have questions about what we've discussed today, if you have suggestions about future topics or potential guests, please don't hesitate to get in touch with us. We're always happy to hear from you. Our email is bela.ann.mike at gmail.com. And if you haven't already, please do subscribe to our podcast. We have lots of great guests in the pipeline. So until next week, signing off from upstate New York. Have a great week, Mike. Thanks, Bela. And from over here in Münster, Germany, I wish you a pleasant week. Bye-bye.